through us. He doesn't want us to become us for and no more. There's nothing wrong with a small church, but there's something desperately wrong with a church that's not growing. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. His responsibility, and it's not a Jewish king, it's a pagan king. And his responsibility is that he tastes the wine before the king drinks it. If someone put poison in it, he would die and not the king. And the king would know not to drink it. He hears some people talking, some Jews, and he asks them about Jerusalem. And they tell him that Jerusalem is in bad shape. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in a great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah receives this news. His homeland, the land that God had promised to him, has been destroyed. The walls that guarded and protected them have been torn down and lay in ruins. They're vulnerable to the enemy. But don't miss this. They were a reproach. They were a reproach. Why were they a reproach? Because it was their own doings. God had told them, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. But they chose other gods over the living, true God. And as a result, they were taken into Babylonian captivity. The walls were torn down. The city was burned. See, they were a reproach to God because God had told them He would take care of them. All they had to do was surrender to Him. All they had to do was believe Him. And they wouldn't do that. They turned to gods that could not hear, that could not speak, that could not do one thing for them. And so, God in His judgment, He allows the Babylonian army to just wipe them out. They start going back in increments. Exiles go back. And they rebuild the temple, but the walls lie in ruin. It's still a reproach. Jerusalem, the regal city, the walls lie in ruin. Nehemiah asked about that. They tell him the report, and immediately he has a burden. Watch this. Our church, our churches are losing our burden. Media, television, all these things are subtly removing the burden of lost souls from the church. And if you take the gospel out of the church, you have nothing more than a country club. Nehemiah gets this burden in verse 4 of chapter 1. So it was, was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. 
I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah doesn't make a social media post about it. He doesn't go and find someone to complain about. He immediately is broken. He has a burden. A burden is something that is in your heart that you're so passionate about that you can't get relief from it. It's a burden that's placed there by the Holy Spirit. And you enact upon that burden and you serve Him and you see God do miraculous things. He's weeping. He's fasting. He's praying because He has a great burden. And it's not so much about the walls as it is what the walls mean. It's not so much the brick and mortar as what the people are a reproach to God. And the church today has become this kind of place where everybody wants to be popular. They want to have their own name. They want to have these grandiose shows. And we no longer have the power of God upon our churches. We're vulnerable to the attack. Why? Because we would rather have our ears tickled than the Word of God preached. We're vulnerable for attack. For rather than standing for truth and lighting a candle, we'd rather curse the darkness. We'd rather complain about how the world is rather than do something about it. That's an indicator that we don't have a burden. When's the last time one of us in this room wept over someone's lost condition? When's the last time we wept over someone who used to be in church and is no longer in church? When's the last time we wept for the work of God? When's the last time we wept that we don't have all of our vans with drivers picking up kids weekly? When's the last time we wept for the condition of our nation? If we don't have the burden for the world, who is? No one's going to have a burden for the world. But we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We want to stay right where it's nice and plush, where we can have everything we want and need, all of our comforts. We don't want to have to step out and do something great for God. He had a burden. And his burden was that his people were a a reproach to God. Do we have a burden that many in many of our churches and there's no difference between the conduct of people in the church and people in the world? Do we have a burden that we no longer talk about things of personal holiness and sanctification and Do we have a burden? Nehemiah had a burden. In verse 5 he says, And and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, You who keep Your covenant and mercy with those who love You and observe Your commandments, please let Your ear be attentive and Your eyes open, that You may hear the prayer of Your servant which I pray before You now, day and night, for 
the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. This guy's serious. This guy's not playing around. And may I say to you, he's not in the most spiritual environment. He's less than that. He is in the king's palace, a pagan place. And if he is even so much in the king's presence with a down spirit, the king can have him removed from him and have him executed immediately. But guys, listen to me. If we're going to rise and we're going to build with Christ this church, we have to get a burden. We have to get a burden. You say, preacher, I don't know how to get a burden. Have you even asked God for a burden? Have you even asked God, God, give me a burden. Give me a burden for Portsmouth and Eden Park and all these surrounding towns. Give me a burden to reach men and women, boys and girls, with the gospel of Christ. Give me a burden to drive a church van. Give me a burden to teach a wana. Give me a burden to be an usher, to do anything you need me to do, Lord. Give me a burden for you for something. Give me a burden. We'll never build the way Christ wants us to build if we do not have a burden. And Nehemiah goes to the Lord and he begs the Lord to bless him. As the story would have it, he goes before the king, and the king notices something about him. He said, you've never been sad before me. Why are you sad? And Nehemiah actually throws up one of those uh-oh prayers. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're in the middle of something, you're like, uh-oh, I don't have time to do anything. I don't have time to get on my face and pray. And he's praying, he's talking to the Lord, right before he responds to the king, and he tells the king what's going on. And guess what? The king doesn't kill him. You know why? Because God was working on the heart of the king long before he went with his burden. That's the way God is. When you get a burden for something and God gives you a burden for something and you go to do something about that burden, you'll find that God's already been there. And God's already working. Because he don't want you to do it in your strength. He wants us to do it in his strength. So he goes and he tells the king and the king says, you've never been sad. What's up? He says, "Uh uh-oh, you praise. And then he tells the king this. He said... My city lies in ruins. My home. And literally the king says, what do you want me to do? (laughs) Those are good words. What do you want me to do? You know what he does? He says, let me go back. Let me go back. So Nehemiah goes back. And at night he slips in. He tells people to wait that's with him. He slips in and he goes all around the city and he looks all around the walls, one gate to the next gate to the next gate, and he's surveying, and he's praying as he's walking. And he gets up to the place where he's burdened. And then he comes back, and then he begins to tell the people in verse 17. He says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. He says, come let us. 
Nehemiah wasn't going to do this all by himself because the second part of building, building requires people. People. If you're in this room this morning, and you are, and you are saved, you have a spiritual gift. This gift is given to you by God Himself so that you can serve Him. You will be responsible for that gift and whether or not you exercise that gift on this earth. And if we are going to build, we have to have everyone involved in the work. Now, I'm sure when Nehemiah told them what they were going to do, there were some that said, I've never laid brick. I've never done that before. Nehemiah said, that's all right, you're only going to lay it with one hand, and the other hand you're going to have a sword. And Nehemiah is going to tell them, they're going to tell all the objections. Well, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I'm busy, I've got a job, and I've got this, and it's the only time off I can have with my family, and all these things are going to say, and Nehemiah is going to say, listen, the only way that you're going to be involved in this work is if you have a burden. You've got to get that burden, and you've got to transfer that burden into action. Christianity is not passive, it's active. The difference between the church of today and the church in the book of Acts, the church in the book of Acts was on the offense. The church of today is on the defense. We sit back and wait for people to attack us, and then we try to counter the attacks. The church in the book of the Acts, what they were doing is they were going from house to house every day, and in the temple they sought to teach Jesus Christ. Every day. They went after Him. And the church of today sits and says, if we do these nice things, then people will come and we can give them the gospel. You will not find that in the Bible anywhere. You'll never find in the, in the gospel, in the Bible, you'll never find anywhere where they were told to plan a big event and out of the event, evangelism would come. You'll only find one method of evangelism and that's one person telling another person about Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Well, preacher, if you know, if we could just get so-and-so, very talented, they will come. If we get uh, someone like Tim Tebow, who's a Christian man, I like Tim Tebow, I think he's a man of God, I think he does some good things. But if he would come, because of his popularity, maybe some people will come and they would get saved. Well, that's a great thought, but it never works. Why? Because they're sinners. And they have to be confronted with their sin. And they need to know why they're sinners. And they need to know what happens to them as sinners. But the pastor can't do all that himself. It's not reserved for the evangelist, the deacon, the pastor. It's everyone's responsibility in the church to get involved in building the church, the church that Christ is building. It requires people. People are bored with serving the Lord. They're bored with church. I watched amazing people this week work at camp, and I observed it. And I watched them out in the hottest week of the year. I mean, we planned one year, we tried to jump in June. God's just going to test us. He's going to see, hey, are you really serious about this or not? But I watched people work hard. I watched people take care of kids. I watched people endure hardship so they could be out there and serve kids. We ought not just do that one time a year. We ought to be doing it every week of our lives at this church right now. You see, building 
requires a burden, and building requires people. And you know what else? Building requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nehemiah says, Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Verse 18, And I told them, plural, I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Now watch this. Then. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah says, this is what God and how his hand's been upon me. And he turned the heart of the king. And he's letting me do this. And they said, we're going to build. And when they said, we're going to build, then they set their hands to the work. They just didn't say something and not follow through with it. They didn't raise their hand at the end of the service and walk out the church service and never do what they raised their hand and said they were going to do. No, you know what they did? They put their money where their mouth was. And they got up. And they set their hands to the work. Half the people had swords, half the people had trial. And they're... And in 52 days, they build the wall around Jerusalem. 52 days. You can't get anything built with modern technology in 52 days. You can't. 52 days. There was opposition... Tobiah, Sanballat, Geshem, they all laughed and spurned them. You guys are crazy. You think you can build? You have no construction experience. You think you're going to defeat the bat, those, these enemies with the sword? You've never even fought before. Sounds like what they told David when David was going out to fight Goliath. You see, that's the enemy. The enemy will always try to get you, you getting your eyes off of God and getting your eyes on yourself. That's what the devil tries to do. Because we all know that we can't do it in our own strength and own power. We know that. And it's too big of a task for us. We know that. We all know that. And so the devil comes in and he attacks us and he sends the Sanballats and the Tobias to come and to discourage us so that we can be defeated from doing the work of the Lord. But faith says, no, 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 no. We're going to work. I'm going to do the process and I'm going to trust God with the process. Verse 19, But when Sambalon the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and they said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now listen, I love this answer. And if you watch me just for a minute, I'll finish up and, and you can go eat and go home and do whatever you want to do. <clears throat> listen to me. They come and they confront him and they laugh and they say, what's this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? They're going to invoke the king. And you know what Nehemiah says? He didn't say, here's my papers from the king. No, you know what he says? Look, he says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself. You know why? Because Nehemiah didn't put his hope in the king. Nehemiah didn't come on the authority of the king, the pagan king. Nehemiah came in the name of God. 
He came there with the power of God to do what God burdened him to do. And so he said, God will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But he takes that bony finger and he points it right at Sambal and Tobiah. And Geshem, he says this, But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Listen to me. You can do whatever you want to do in this world. You can chase whatever pleasures you want to chase. But let me tell you something. If you forsake the living God to chase those things, you will have no right, no memorial, and no heritage in Jerusalem. If you're a troublemaker, and I don't know that you are, if you're a a Tobiah and a Samballot, you need to get your heart right because you're not going to have a part in it. The The most horrible thought I have as a pastor is someone being in our church who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ who never serves Him and never grows and never does anything and then has to stand before the righteous King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and give an account of Himself or Herself. Another fear I have is that in our church there might be someone who claims, who goes along with everything, they might tithe, they might serve, but they might not ever be born again. They might not be saved. That scares me to death that someone would come here. I take it on your testimony. Those that you have told me that you're saved, you're saved. But if you're here and you're not saved, let me tell you something. There is a literal burning hell. It's not just separation from God. It is literally burning. The worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. There is torment every day throughout eternity. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd invite you to come. And church, I don't know about you, but the thought that I could be in the church and be a reproach upon the Lord bothers me. The thought that I could think that because we just call ourselves a church and we have church and we sing and we tithe and all that, that we're close to God and God is, is just all on board with us. It scares me to death. I'm asking you today, will you arise and build? Will you arise and build? Or do you want to be the part that you sit in the church and you do everything and when the tally's done, you've done nothing for the Lord Jesus Christ and you stand before Him and you give an account of your life and you have no heritage to give Christ as glory. You have no memorial to give Christ as glory. I have nothing to give you, Lord. I didn't serve you because the things of the world were more important to me than you were. If that's your testimony, you're a reproach to the living God. But you don't have to be. You can be, I can be like those who said, let us arise and build. We His servants will arise and build. Would you join me in prayer with with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? May I ask you?